1 John 2, 7 through 11. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Frederick Douglass is one of America's most famous African-Americans and abolitionists. He was a prolific writer and, and speaker. He started uh, newspapers and met with President Abraham Lincoln and championed the cause of African-American uh, civil rights. But most people familiar with the name Frederick, Frederick Douglass are not aware of his strong Christian faith. Douglass was born a slave in 1818. And as a slave, he witnessed and endured great cruelty and, sadly, especially at the hands of Christian masters, slave owners. He saw firsthand brutal whippings, cold-blooded murder, and the daily rituals of physical and psychological abuse. As a child, he heard one of his Christian masters reading from the book of Job. And he heard this man, Job, saying, as he was reading, in spite of his great suffering, blessed be the name of the Lord. And he wanted to know more about this man. As a teenager, he taught himself to read and later became a Christian. And he found faith in Christ as, quote, my Redeemer, my friend, and my Savior. In 1838, at the age of 20, he escaped slavery and immediately became involved in the abolition movement. He took it upon himself to convince Americans to see slavery as a moral evil and the anti-slavery cause as a great moral necessity. He would often repeat a chastening refrain. Between the Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I recognize the widest possible difference. You see, for Frederick Douglass, the problem was not Jesus or Christianity. It was the hypocrisy of Christians. He denounced what he called the, quote, corrupt, slave-holding, women-whipping, cradle-plundering, partial and hypocritical Christianity, which he saw everywhere in America. He blasted the man who wields the blood-clotted cowskin during the week, fills the pulpit on Sunday, and claims to be a minister of the meek 
and lowly Jesus, unquote. He would often condemn the slaveholder who, quote, covers his infernal business with the garb of Christianity. Unquote. It seems almost unbelievable for us today that those claiming to follow Christ could embrace such an evil and cruel institution. The one whose very name is associated with love, whose greatest commandment is love, whose new commandment is love, and of whom it is said by Paul, the essence of following him is faith working through love. How could this be? We ask. But before we go too far with our righteous condemnation, we might consider that we might be cut of the same cloth. Not that we would ever remotely in any way embrace any kind of slavery today. But, Do we have those around us, excuse me, do we love those around us with a love that is free from all hypocrisy? This is the question that the Apostle John now begins to address. The quality of our love for others. In our passage today, he's going to continue to challenge us. He will challenge us in this passage, in this passage for us today, with respect to our love for others, the importance of loving others, and what loving others says about our relationship to God. And so I've entitled our passage. <laughs> Is it love or is it hate? Because as we will see, John talks about our relationship with one another in terms of love and in terms of hate. So, let's uh, put our passage in context as we do each week, reminding ourselves of what we have seen. And what we're going to look at today really just continues what John ha has, has been doing. So far in the book of 1 John, the writer has challenged us to examine the depth or the quality or the seriousness of our walk as a believer. He began with the foundational principle in chapter 1, verse 5, that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all which speaks of His unblemished holiness and righteousness, and our life should reflect His character as light. He says in one six that if we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. He's saying we can't live in the realm of sin, in darkness, with sin in our lives, and claim to have fellowship with God a lie. We're not practicing the truth. 
in 1.8, he says that if, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. He's not talking about perfection here, that if we say we have no sin, but, he's, but if we minimize and rationalize our sinful behavior or lifestyle, then once again we're living a lie regarding our fellowship with God. In chapter 2, verse 4, he says, The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. We can't really say that we know God if we are indifferent to his commandments and obeying his word. In chapter 2, verse 5, he says, Whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. Our love for God is really seen in the measure to which we keep His commandments. And in chapter 2, verse 6, the one who says he abides in Him ought himself to walk in the same manner as He, Jesus, walked. We are truly abiding in Him or we have that close relationship with Him when we walk like Jesus walked. So John is really challenging us not to look at our profession of faith, but to look at the depth and quality of our relationship to God. Not simply to take pleasure in being a believer, but asking if our faith really is expressed in the way we live. And now he's going to add one more area, and that is our love for others. So he begins with what I'm calling the enduring commandment. Let's read verse 7. Beloved. John is writing to believers here. It's not those whom he loves necessarily as much as it is those who have been loved by God. Beloved. Beloved. I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. What is he saying here? He's writing to them about a commandment. It's not a new commandment as if John is telling them something new or novel or something that they had not heard before. But rather, it's an old commandment. He says, it is the commandment that you have heard, that you have had from the beginning. Now, This is key, from the beginning. From what beginning? From the beginning of time? From the beginning of redemptive history with Israel? Well, let's look at chapter 1, verse 1. We have this same expression. Chapter 1, verse 1, the first first verse in the book of John, 1 John. What was from the beginning? There's that same expression, okay? What was from the beginning, we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld with our hands, and our hands handled concerning the word of life. So John's using the same expression here in chapter 2, verse 7, that he used in chapter 1, verse 1, to refer here in our passage to what he was talking about in chapter 1, verse 1, which is the beginning of Christianity. Remember back in chapter 1, verse 1, What was from the beginning refers to the beginning of 
Christianity. In other words, what the, John and the other's apostles had actually seen in Jesus, heard from Jesus. They actually handled or touched Jesus, specifically with reference to His resurrection body. That it was, it was not just a spirit or an idea, but they, 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 they touched Him. And so he's, the, in the beginning refers to the beginning of Christianity. <clears throat> and so in our verse, he says, A new commandment which you have heard from the beginning refers to the commandment that Jesus gave that we are to love. It was the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, and your neighbor as yourself. And later he would tell the disciples to love one another. But Jesus said that was a new commandment. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Well, why does John say it's not a new commandment? Well, we'll come to that. But when John says here in verse 7, the old commandment, is the word which you have heard. He means it is the message, the word, the message, that has been preached in the church by the apostles for these many years. If Christianity began in the ministry of Christ and then after the Holy Spirit came with the apostles and so on, somewhere around the early 30s, John is writing now very possibly 50 years later. And so during this course of a half a century, this is the message that they had heard which had been preached. Like the Apostle says in Romans 13, Paul says, Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. That's that message about loving others, loving one another. Paul says in Galatians 5, 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but what's the essence here of the Christian life? Faith working through love. And Peter, in essence, preached the same message. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. So the commandment of which John speaks here in verse 7 is the commandment to love one another. And this is not a new commandment that they had not heard before. They had heard it from the words of Jesus and the message of the apostles in the early church. This is basic Christianity. This is the message that you've heard all along. It's Christianity 101. Love one another. So, the commandment to love one another is old in the sense that John is not being innovative in what he's saying. He's not giving them something they never heard before. But there is, at the same time, a newness to it as well. So it's an old commandment, but now he says, verse 8, on the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment to you. On the one hand, I'm not writing something new that you've never heard before. You've heard it in the words of Jesus. You've heard it in the message of the apostles. But at the same time, it is a new commandment since that is what Jesus called it, a new commandment I give to you. And the newness of the commandment 
is found in the measure of its love. It is no longer love your neighbor as yourself. It is now love one another as I have loved you. It is, a, it is now a sacrificial love. A love that sacrifices for the one loved. This is to be the measure of our love. This is to be the character of our love. I'm writing to you a new, a new commandment. I am writing a new commandment to you. And then he says which is true in Him and in you. John says, you've seen the truth of this. You've seen it in Him, exemplified in Him in the sacrificial life and death of Jesus. And you have seen it, you've seen it demonstrated among yourselves as it ought to be true in us. If we are to walk as Jesus walked, we will love in this way. And then he says, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. What John means here is this. The darkness refers to the world engulfed by sin. Engulfed in sin. And when Jesus came as the true light into this world of darkness, and His light is shining in this world through His Word and... Through His people. And when we obey His command to love one another as He loved us, we are part of the light that is removing the darkness in this world. It is a new commandment in this way because it bears witness to Christ. Let's look at Jesus' words in John 13. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Our love for one another is a witness for Christ. And in this way, the light of the love of Christ is shining in the darkness of this world. It is a witness of light in this dark world. So, having now shown the preeminence of the commandment to love, John's now going to show the seriousness of it. Verse 9. The one who says he is in the light What does he mean by being in the light? He used the same expression in chapter 1, verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with God. It means to walk in fellowship with God. So the one who says he's in the light is the one who says he is in fellowship with God. It means to live our lives according to God's character, according to God's nature, according to God's ways. It means to live in accordance with God's holiness, and righteousness. To be in the light 
refers to the same concepts that John has spoken of previously. It means to know God. To be in the light means to know God. To be in the light means to love God. To be in the light means that we are abiding in Him. And so the one who says he is in the light is in essence saying, I am tight with God. I am really close to Him. I'm living the way He wants me to. But there's just this one area. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother. Now, the brother, of course, refers to our fellow Christian, fellow believer, male or female, so brother or sister. But the obvious question is, what does John mean by hate? The one who says he's in the light and yet hates his brother. Is he talking about hatred as we normally think of it and use it, uh, that strong, intense antipathy, a feeling of such dislike that it boils over into revulsion and even anger? I'm not sure that that's what John means. You see, John has a tendency to speak in binary categories. Opposites. He talks about light and he talks about darkness. He talks about truth and he talks about a lie. You, you, you know, he talks about in, in extremes, these categories. So here, the categories are love and hate. So for John, anything less than sacrificial love is hate. Anything less than keeping the new commandment is hate. Hate is the absence of love. The absence of love would include such things as not caring for one another, indifference toward people and their needs, excluding and not including others, those kinds of actions. I. Howard Marshall, in his commentary on John, writes this. I want you to listen carefully. John's concept of love is caring for the needs of others, even to the point of self-sacrifice. If I am unwilling to do that for somebody in need, I love myself more than him. I am not being merely neutral, but I am actually hating him. Moreover, he is writing about our fellow Christians and is thinking no doubt about relationships in a comparatively small community where everybody could know everybody else. In this situation, failure to care for others was all the more heinous. Hate. It's the absence of sacrificial love. So what does John say about the one who says, man, I'm tight with God, but does not show love to his sisters or brothers? That one, John says, is in darkness until now. 
John is not saying that the person is not or has never been saved. He's writing to them as believers. And so he's not saying they're not saved. If God is light, and to walk in the light is to walk in fellowship with God, then to walk in darkness or to be in the darkness is living in a way as a believer or Christian that does not reflect God's character as light. To be living in a way inconsistent with His will is to be in darkness. It is to live with the sinful behavior of the absence of love. If we're not loving one another, as John has set forth here, then we're in in darkness in that sense. And John is saying this with such extreme language as hate so that we might realize, regardless of how tight we might think we are with God, but that we would realize just how unacceptable our behavior is. We're not walking with God if we're not loving others. But then John reaffirms the blessing of loving one another. Verse 10, the one who loves his brother. You see, that's exactly opposite of what he had said in verse 9. The one who, um, how does verse 9 go? The one, excuse me, the one who says he's in the light and yet hates his brother. In contrast to the one who hates his brother, he now says, the one who loves his brother. The one who keeps the commandment of Jesus to love others as he has loved us. The one who sacrificially loves others, puts the needs of others ahead of his or her own wants and agenda. John says, this one abides in the light. This is the one who really is walking in the light of God. The one who really has the kind of relationship that God desires for us. Let's think of it this way in the context of what John has said so far. The one who sacrificially loves their brother or sister in Christ. This is the one who really is walking in the light, who really knows God, who really loves God, and who really is walking as Jesus walked. And there is no cause for stumbling in Him. Now, is John saying here, there's no cause for stumbling in Him, is he saying that the individual who does love, as he's just described, will not stumble himself? Or that he will not be a cause for others to stumble. Which is it? I believe it's the latter. By showing love, sacrificial love to other people, it is a testimony to the reality of Christ working in a person's life. As opposed to the profession of faith, but that is uncaring and unconcerned about those in need. This was the stumbling block 
for Frederick Douglass. They made the profession of faith in Christ, and yet there was no evidence of it in the way they treated other people, particularly their slaves. And how many countless other people have stumbled, have been caused to stumble, because our profession of faith is not manifested in loving others as Jesus taught us. Well, to stress the seriousness and importance, John sets forth the consequences of not loving one another in verse 11. The one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. Once again, this does not mean that this person who fails to love is or has not been, is not saved or has never been saved. It simply means they are not living in the light of who God is. They are choosing to live in the way of darkness, the way of the world, the way of self-interest, and not the way of God. And get this, John says, that person does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. He's talking about the person here who does not love, who chooses not to love, as Jesus commanded us to love. That one's spiritual eyes are blinded and has no real direction in their spiritual life and relationship with God. They're not walking in the light. We become like those of whom Isaiah spoke. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. See, these are those Christian slaveholders. This is one like what we saw in chapter 1 and verse 8, and we'll paraphrase it for our context here. If we say we have no sin, even though we are not loving like we should, we are deceiving ourselves. We end up simply rationalizing and justifying our sinful behavior and our spiritual life in spite of our protests is in reality a mess. We do not know where we're going because the darkness has blinded our eyes. All right, let's try to summarize our passage. John speaks in our passage of the old yet new commandment. It is the commandment to love others. Now, question probably comes up, are we supposed to love everyone or are we just supposed to love brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, the answer to that question is yes. The commandment to love others, seen and heard from the beginning, in other words, in the life and ministry of Christ. And what kind of people did Jesus love? Sacrificially. It is old in that sense because it is part of basic Christianity from the beginning. John is not telling them something new or novel. 
It is new because Jesus adds an enduring newness to it. It is no longer just a love that seeks to do good of others, but a love that sacrifices for others. Jesus said, you are to love as I have loved you. And this is the kind of love, and this kind of love is a witness to the light of God in the darkness of this world. John uses the language of love versus hate to show the seriousness of Jesus' command to love one another. Love is giving ourselves, following the example of Jesus, sacrificially for the needs of others. He says anything less than that is hate. It's the absence of sacrificial love. And such a lack of love is part of the darkness of this world, and therefore no matter how much we might protest indicates a lack of fellowship with God. But the one who does practice that sacrificial love, this is the evidence of truly knowing God and walking in fellowship with Him. But the one who does not, in spite of claims and appearances of spirituality, in reality he's living according to the darkness of this world. Unlike the Christian slaveholders only in degree. So, what do we take away from this passage? Well, there's little question from this passage that John is really intense about the matter of loving one another. It's basic Christianity. It's a witness to the world. It's a genuine demonstration of our fellowship with God and walking in the light of His Word. But the question is, are we doing it? Are we practicing it? Or is it something that we like to talk about doing? We feel good about the idea of loving one another. We like to hear about it being done. But in reality, we don't really practice it like we should. Why not? Well, I think the reason is found in the very definition of the word. Loving others like Jesus loved is sacrificial. It is costly. It costs our time. It costs our energy. It costs our plans, our agendas, and yes, it costs our money. Sacrificial love is disruptive, it's interruptive, and it's inconvenient. And everything in us as part of our natural person, resist it. And that's why this kind of love 
really is such a witness. It witnesses to the transforming power of Christ in our lives. To transform us from self-centeredness to sacrificial. And it is only through that power and the Holy Spirit, because the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's only through that power that we can break our bondage to our self-interest and truly love sacrificially. So what are we to do? There's so many needs. Well, let me be clear. We cannot meet every need. But don't let that fact become an excuse for a lack of love. When situations of need arise, we need to do an honest assessment and determine, can I do this, can I meet this need, or do I just not want to? We are called to sacrificial love. The absence of this is not just less love. John calls it hate. And I think I know why. The word hate is disturbing. We can probably make ourselves comfortable by saying, I don't love as I should. I need to love more. But we don't like to say, if I'm not loving, I'm hating. We don't like that tag on us. And yet that's what John calls it. That's what John calls it when we can respond in love, but refuse to, but choose not to. This kind of love is supernatural. So we must approach this with supernatural power. We need to pray that God would help us to love others sacrificially and then act accordingly knowing that loving others in this way is really what it means to know God and to walk as Jesus walked and to walk in the light of fellowship with God so what will characterize your life what will characterize our church is it love or is it hate may the spirit of God Renew our hearts so that we might sacrificially love one another. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for your word that you've given to us. and It is our prayer that the Spirit of God would use this portion from your word to speak to us today. You know our hearts, Lord. You alone really know our hearts. 
And help us to see the condition of our hearts. You know our lives. You know what we can do, what we can't do. And so, Lord, we pray that the Spirit of God would use the truth of Your Word about loving one another sacrificially. That You would use this portion of Your Word to shape us, Lord. Shape us into the people that You would have us to be. As individuals, showing your love in ways most often unseen by others, but certainly seen by you. And shape us, O Lord, as a church that we might be a community of faith that really shows this kind of love toward one another. It's only by your Spirit, Lord. It's only by your work. We ask that you might accomplish this in us and among us in great measure. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.